Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 22nd of November 2021. We're cramming on through November, trying to get everything moved, and so is everybody else. Busy month, not enough lorries, all the same old stuff we've said the last few weeks. The mood in the grain trade is I would describe as, and I had a conversation with an old mate of mine a minute or two ago, we're going to call it battle-weary because it's not fun, in my opinion. So what have we got? The market is at all-time highs. That's fun, I suppose, isn't it? You know, here we are. Contract of wheat trades at 232.50, I think, on the May futures, which would make X farm for May something like 225 and take a pound off a month from there, I guess. So January X farm 220 for feed wheat. Amazing. Astounding. Who's selling it? Not very many people. You're going to win regardless for this season, whether you want to admit that or not. So if you have got some tonnage left for sale, I guess you have to look at it soon. I mean, there are reasons why the market could come down. You don't know a political decision somewhere. OPEC gushing out more oil, pushing the oil price down, making the funds have a different sentiment on commodities could be a reason. Some sort of, I don't know, political decision to invade somewhere by a big country might just make everyone feel nervous and knock all commodities back. There's a number of things that you have to consider as a person who's got a product that's definitely making a profit. You know, you have to ask yourself, why am I not selling it? And what is going to make me make that decision? Is it going to be panic of losing out because it's starting to drop? Or, you know, realistically, what is your aspirational price? Yeah, it's totally over to you. Tell us what you want and we'll try and achieve it. I mean, altered rape is still on fire. I repeat my previous comment about, you know, if you've got any old crop altered rape to sell, phone us up and offer it to us and we'll try and achieve your price that you're fantasising about. I'm not going to bother to put a price out there. It's touched 600 here and there, I'm told. It's not there at the moment. It's come off a little bit from it. Harvest rape is about 485 in the region of that, which is an amazing starting place. Feed barley, 200x probably for Jan. One or two people are short for boats during December. They might pay you 200x for that. We're not short. We don't need to. And we can't get holders cheaply. And we can't make money if we pay 200x for deck. So over to somebody else for that one. Haulage might be cheaper here and there, depending on how out of touch the haulier is with what's going on. I think underlyingly, there's nothing much I can report on. I mean, there's a firm market this week. Algeria bought wheat, which predominantly, I think, came from France, which gave the market a boost locally. UK feed wheat is cheap. If you look at alternatives, if you're looking just at basic feed wheat, and okay, corn is cheaper from, you know, say the Black Sea. But, you know, if someone wants specifically wheat at the south coast of England, we are cheap. 
So it ain't going to go down much at the moment unless something radical happens, as I say, politically or some sort of change in the mood of the funds that, that have got these commodities steaming. The only thing in the distance, I'm told this morning, is that the Aussie crop, which we're all expecting to be good and big and all the rest of it, is apparently, if you want to go on your weather maps, is enduring a little bit of rain, which is just beginning to put a bit of a question mark over quality and quantity, consequently. So they're not quite so geared, you know, to wet conditions as we are in in the Aussie cereal area. So if they get rain, they have to sit and wait for it to dry out again, I guess. But the point being, it it could affect the milling quality of it and bring a bit more feed wheat to the market and drop yields down as the kilo weights come away. So that's one to watch and it's not really affecting the market yet. So, you know, maybe that'll be coming into play in the next two, three, four weeks and we'll, well, have a look at it. Go on your weather maps. And in the meantime, just for today, the market is showing red on the screen on most commodities but not really much so it's you know a slight nosebleed but it ain't going anywhere in a hurry by the look of it so with that happy thought have a very lovely week thank you thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours are you an experienced bookkeeper looking for a new opportunity Dew and Grain have a full-time position available at their head office in Aylsham, Norfolk. If you would like to be considered, send your CV to tessa at dewinggrain.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. If you're searching for Christmas gift ideas, then look no further. We're Crush, artisanal makers of yummy stuff in the heart of the Norfolk countryside. From oils to sauces, cereals to teas and chutneys to honeys, we have something for everyone. Our bespoke hampers make a great gift and are perfect for festive feasting. Or your hard-to-buy Aunt Jackie. To shop online, visit us at www.crush-foods.com or find our products in all good independent retailers. Shop local and save food miles with Crush Food. This week, sticking with youth on the podcast, I've got Henry Harrison of Brown & Co. with me. Henry, good evening. Evening, Andrew. And the reason you're here is because... Last week, my wife Tessa spotted in the newspaper a Brown & Co advert saying there's something big happening in investment in farming from DEFRA. So just what exactly was it? Henry? Yeah, so exa- exactly that. Last week, we put out a bit of a, a mail shot as a sort of pre-warning, I guess, to make people aware of something called the Farming Investment Fund. Yep. And that was launched officially on Tuesday, 16th of November. So Tuesday just gone. Yep. And that's effectively there to supply capital grant funding for farmers to invest in equipment and machinery to help us become more profitable, productive and sustainable, essentially. That's the plan. So this is the long-awaited that was going to come out in October. That's the one they're talking about. Yeah, correct. So through the DEFRA transition period, there's all sorts of schemes that are going to be coming online over the next seven years, really. The DEFRA transition period is like, let's make that up so we can do (laughs) anything we like and then pretend we're in a transition so it can like take forever, (laughs) period. So something like that. Transition's a better word. Basically, when we voted to leave the EU, there was a whole consultation in terms of how the subsidy regime was going to work post the removal of BPS. And obviously... What DEFRA did, they set out a seven-year transition period, and within that, they set out a timeline of when they'd introduce various schemes and capital funds. So there's parts of that, which is the Environmental Land Management Scheme, which we're all relatively well aware of is coming, won't come until 24, 25. But the bit that we've heard news on in the last week is the Farming Investment Fund, which opened on, on Tuesday, just gone. So that's really the capital grant funding element of this transitional support, really. 
Okay, I mean, there seems to be lots of fun. I mean, last week we had Lana Head on from AHDB with the Future Farm Resilience Fund, yeah. Which I think you were Yeah, so uh, yeah, did, tuned into that and it was a, a good listen and yeah, did sit there and think, actually, that's a service that we can also offer. So, um, <laughs> Oh, there's the plug. Yeah, but for, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, obviously it was very nice to have Lana on. She's a little bit prettier than you, Henry, <laughs> as, much, as much as I love you. But um, <laughs> let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Do we know the detail of what they're actually going to put this money into? Is it What bits of it do we know and what bits are we yeah, getting? Yeah, so how it works is... So they've released the um, Farming Investment Fund. That's split into sort of two strands, as they'd term it. So the first of that is the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, and the second is the Farming Transformation Fund. So to break it down simply, the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund is for smaller capital items. The Farming Transformation Fund is for larger capital items. So give me a smaller capital item example. So there's a set list under the Farming Equipment Technology Fund, number of pages long, and they will fund things like fixed livestock handling systems, cattle crushers, direct drills, three metre or six metre options. Okay, I mean, so that's the big fad, isn't it? Direct yeah. drills, so they're quite expensive. What sort of percentage of a drill, if you qualify? In terms of the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, it's not done on a fixed percentage. It's done slightly differently okay. in that what they do is, is assign a standard grant cost per item. Okay. Generally, these are meant to be around 40% of the cheapest available item on the market. Okay. So for a six-metre direct drill, for example, yeah. they'll fund £25,000 of grant. Okay. You now, you're probably not going to find that many drills where you're going to be getting... 40%, 25 grand is going to be 40% of your total capital cost, but it's up to the particular drill that you want to buy. But there are some sort of key specifications that you have to make sure you tick the box on, because if you go and buy a drill which doesn't quite meet that spec, you're not going to be eligible to receive the money. Okay, so that particular is, is a lot of small print reading or someone's going to hold their hands, i.e. Correct, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, in which case, that's fairly simple to understand, isn't it? That yeah. One? What about the big one then? What's so that? the big one, the Farming Transformation Fund, is, again, they like to split these funds into different levels, different strands, different themes, whatever, however we want to call it. So Farming Transformation Fund has got three elements to it. Mm-hmm. The first, water resource management. Yep. The second, farm productivity. And the third, sort of adding value to agri-food. Right. So the one that they have just announced is the water resource management element. So that's funding your reservoirs, trickle boom irrigation systems okay. new software pump houses or pump upgrades that sort of system is there like is there a minimum cost on that is there a minimum spend on that yeah there is so they because they're targeting those larger grant claimants you've got a, a minimum grant receivable of 35000 okay. which equates to a sort of minimum capital cost total capital cost to your business of 87 and a half grand Okay. Can you do that as a collect of people doing something together? Yeah, is that, is that that, that, that's something that they really encourage to see. So okay. if you can bring any collaboration into a water resource project, adding value to agri-food project, or any of these projects, helps tick some of their priority boxes from DEFRA's point of view. I mean, and this would be something that hasn't yet been done or planned, or it has to be from scratch with every other grant, doesn't it? It, it does, but talking about the water resource management grants to start with, they need a lot more forward planning than most because mm. generally with those large capital grant applications, we're looking at reservoir projects. Yeah. Now, reservoir projects, we know water's a very hot topic here in particularly our part of the world. 
and you've got to make sure to be able to apply for these grants you've got planning permission and an abstraction license ultimately in place before they pay any of that money okay so you can make the planning permission application correct and get it and then apply for the grant to do the hardware behind it and they won't say oh no you're already doing the project we're not going to give it to you because that's been part of several grants in the past yeah so ultimately you wouldn't be claiming for your planning permission costs so that wouldn't be formed part of your grant funded costs all of the other capital costs in terms of underground irrigation main infrastructure and bits like that will form part of your eligible cost but that would have been planned wouldn't it is my point it It would would yeah yeah. already yeah you're simply if they don't mind the fact that you're going to be doing it anyway or were doing it anyway yeah will that influence no that they if you're going to do it regardless that's not something that would be encouraged because they then would have the view in that actually you don't need the grant support you can cash flow it, match fund it yourself it's proving that but actually with the planning permission element Mm -hmm. and because ultimately from the defra point of view they can't be dishing out grant money if someone's going to build a reservoir but can't get planning because ultimately the project's a non-starter so there, there is some leeway yeah in that they understand that for these sorts of projects, you need to be putting these applications in okay. to be able to get over the line. So it could encourage or enable someone to have a better system or a more extensive, more efficient system. It's one thing having the planning permission, but if you have the grant, they can now expand the capacity of it. All. Exactly, and generally what they're trying to target is that you're using your water more efficiently across your holdings. So actually, if you can show by installing a load of new underground main rather than having some old leaky asbestos pipe or something down there, then actually it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a slightly better system. Do they system. exist then, leaky asbestos? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some old irrigation mains will still be asbestos pipes down there. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. There's some strange-looking pipes in the corners of several fields. Of this <laughs> so uh, the water thing is one thing. So then what's the next bit then? What, what? So, so the next bits, or the next two bits, mm-hmm. are the, the farm productivity element of that farming what's that let's get into that one so that one again slightly speculating here because we were expecting the farm productivity and the other element the adding value to agri-food to be announced this week just gone but that hasn't happened we're expecting that now probably early 2022 right the farm productivity element is looking at things like what we've seen in the past, so I might be completely wrong because I'm speculating yeah, to no, what no, DEFRA are going to release. It's, so. it's the Doing Grain podcast. Yeah, yeah. There's 17 listeners, but, and uh, if you get it wrong, we'll just tease you about yeah, it. So exactly. You're not trying to... You've got it on record now, so you can hold me to account. <laughs> well, no, yeah, believe me, I've got <laughs> 100 million episodes and everyone yeah. can pick up lots of things that are wrong. But there's no point in not... You know, I appreciate your, yeah, yeah, yeah. your company can disclaim and call you drunk or something. <laughs> evening, but but the, the reality is, is you and I having a conversation about it and we are speculating. Yeah, about yeah. It, so, and I'm... so the sorts of things that we've, we've seen in the past are sort of on-farm robotics. So things like these camera-guarded inter-row hose. Yeah. They've funded sort of umbilical slurry injection systems, dribble bars. What's the middle one? The yeah. slurry injection. So you've got um, basically a, a big tank. Yeah big umbilical system feeding a tractor going up and down in your field, yeah. sort of injecting your slurry almost into oh, the okay. pasture right. rather than just blanket slurry spreading it across inje- the... Got it. Yeah. Right. Sorry. So, again, the farm productivity one will know as, as soon as that guidance is released, we'd have a pretty good idea of the sorts of projects that would be funded. The slightly more exciting one, which in the past has attracted some quite large capital grants, mm-hmm. is the adding value to agri-food. And that's where we've seen... Things like collaborative grain storage, which will excite you, no doubt. Well, that's the one that caught our attention. Obviously, we're looking at that thinking, A, is there an opportunity for us to build some stuff a bit cheaper? Or B, 
is everyone going to get loads of grants to build grain stores again? Which <laughs> one, there we go. So, you know, yeah. which doesn't help central grain storage at yeah. all. So, it, so, I mean, ultimately, they, they won't fund an out-and-out grain store with some basic drying system. What they want to see is the added value element to it. Yeah, so if someone's going to go for it, they're going to have to put... Well, I put stirrers in. That's got to be good now, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. So we, we're talking about colour sorters. Exactly. Dressers, gravity separators, that sort of thing in yeah. the process. Exactly And that. proof, because anyone can say drying is improving it. But mm. No, it isn't. It's done without saying. You have to do that, because otherwise... Yeah, it's got to be over and above what what we would sort of deem as standard agricultural practice yeah, in terms c- of grain Cutting it wet really. and drying it, which yeah. is what you had to do this afternoon, yeah. anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's that one. If there's some grants coming to that, I mean, we manage a cooperative store. Mm. And, you know, Aylsham, for example, we haven't got a colour sorter or we haven't got a gravity separator. We've got one at Cantley at the air grain. And so you think, well, maybe with a year like the one just gone, ergot is becoming a much, much more prevalent item in grain samples. Mm. Not so much in Norfolk because of our rotations, and you know, than the, the fact that ergot spores get ploughed down into the ground. You know, whereas rape, wheat, rotation, direct drilling which yeah. is great, protecting the roots and all that. But those spores never leave the surface, and so next year they'll be there sporulating at the wrong moment again, and the spring barley in certain counties will be full of ergot. Yeah. And you can't tip stuff with ergot in it. It has to be gotten out. Exactly, and that's that's what they're trying to help out with, really, is those large investments, those... Well, you'd know the capital costs of them better than I, but £100,000 plus we're yeah, yeah. talking yeah. for those single items. So that's and, where we're looking at 40% grants on, on that sort of equipment and the instructions are in korean yeah that helps <laughs> yeah. i thought you were, f- you were fluent no i've got a glenn at cantley who's become fluent <laughs> i can't remember the name of the guy who comes over to talk to him but it's quite fascinating and he is glenn is a genius and he works it we have no idea the rest yeah. of us uh, he just goes ah <laughs> <laughs> anyway so, so th- that i think is the exciting element to come we yeah. know what we've got already but that that will be coming sometime early next year and it's worth just touching on, there's obviously the collaborative grain element and added value element from a cereal side, but also it's probably more relevant to a lot of these big veg processes and pack houses, whereas they fund sort of new grading lines and packing lines, optical potato graders, these split graders. So there's, there's some quite big high value capital equipment that can all be sort of to, pushed through this fund. They're going to have to invent cutters soon, aren't they? Because they don't get people cutting. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is, you know, the, the, yeah. the issues of supplying food from the UK without anyone actually physically doing the harvesting of it because no one's prepared to do the work. Yeah, and, and to be fair, going back to it, whilst the technology's not, probably not quite there, but that's exactly what the farm productivity grant is trying to push yeah. is, is this on-farm robotics. Now, what we... Sometimes see is actually if it is there, it's probably not that tried and tested, mm. and it's very very expensive. Yes, we can get a capital grant on it, but it's how manageable it is in the actual everyday practice. Basically, there's got to be some developments on that. Uh, funding within that is a uh, is definitely going to help the UK become more self sufficient, which I guess is the definite objective one would assume. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's trying to just make a whole sort of more sustainable system. I think is where their ultimate goal is. Whether an on-farm robot helps towards our net zero agenda, who's to know, but we'll... Uh... It doesn't help labour costs. Yeah. A robot doing something instead of an old boy from the village, you'd kind of... Yeah. That's one more person on the dole, isn't it? So, But it's been emphasised this year more than ever, hasn't it, with the shortage of foreign labour and actually... Well, if that technology would have been in place already, I think you'd have a, a lot more people going down that route. Well, it's a shortage of labour full stop. Yeah. You know, lots of agricultural labour 
has been pinched. Yeah. And if there was enough people training HGV drivers, a lot more of them would leave as well. <laughs> but yeah. there's a big shortage. Yeah. I keep running on in our industry on, on that one. But it's, you know, the dynamic of you can blame the pandemic or you can blame Brexit. Yeah. I've been accused of blaming Brexit all the time or the Conservatives or something. So we'll say, you know, whatever it was, the shortage of labour isn't something that is going to go away in a hurry. And certainly yeah. the shortage of lorries isn't. And the new dynamic, therefore, has to be well, we've got to be innovative in our industry to somehow tempt people back into it. Yeah. Which boils down to money. Well, there's no doubt. There's, well, the supply chains are on their knees all around the world, aren't they? And actually, you know, we can see some people coming over from Europe. I can't remember how many of these agricultural workers' visas they've granted, but they're only about three months long or so. So the yeah. issue is going to carry on post them coming over and going home. I must admit, I, I kind of wondered what the advert was like, you know, come to England between October and December. <laughs> <laughs> Spend your life in a I field. don't know, Munsley, it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless you're grading potatoes. Yeah. And there's, there's an issue. And, and I mean, DEFRA have got to do something to replace the old EDA and the old European grants. I mean, this is the first step towards them mm. trying to help agriculture. And they'll be... Yeah, so I, I suppose it's important mentioning that we've had grant support in the past, mm-hmm. um, not actually that long ago, through something called the Countryside Productivity Scheme. There, there's been grants ever since. I mean, Ailsham was built with a Cosiga grant in 1981, yeah. and that was a European grant. Grants come and go. If you just wait long enough, there'll be another one coming along to help it, you build grain stores. Exactly, but this is our first actual UK-driven grant scheme that we've had since the 70s. Yeah, since so, well, late 60s, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so, we'll... Today, it's very much following what we've known in previous schemes through the EU, but who's to see how it develops in the future? Okay, with DEFRA's track record on farm payment schemes, how confident are you? They've improved significantly, to be fair to them. Okay. There's been issues in the past with sort of delayed payments on some BPS payments and stewardship payments and what have you. But actually, for the last three probably four years everyone knows generally they'd like to think they get their basic payment check through in December mm-hmm. and certainly for the last three years I think DEFRA probably made about 90 odd percent 95 percent of those payments in December and to be fair the official payment window actually runs through till June so okay. it'd be I think it'd probably be fair to say they've, they're doing an all right job on that front and they have actually got on top of it I know they, they did face a lot of criticism a, a few years ago and it seems to me that they've sorted out in terms of the payment timings anyway you're not just saying that to be in favour <laughs> with DEFRA Brown and Co say <laughs> DEFRA <are> yeah, exactly <laughs> so if you just apply for a grant through us you'll get it <laughs> no uh, g- gen- genuinely that's that's what I've seen no, no, across I, my I, client I, base I anyway you. yeah no it's right so it strikes me with the you know the farming investment fund and with the future farm resilience fund and the you know, let's give some money away fund and let's support poor grain traders fund I'm waiting for. <laughs> You're going to be fairly off your feet, aren't you? There's, this is Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it that the last sort of month or so, and we certainly will be from, I don't, don't know when it's going to quieten down again. I can't actually see a time in my diary when it is, but typically for my workload personally, and that's not saying it's the same across all the other colleagues I work with, but my workload tends to actually quieten off a little bit during harvest when all of our client base are out busy, well, working, combining, and you're running around filling grain stores. I'm sitting down, <laughs> never getting off the phone, losing my but, voice, yeah. But then post-harvest and post-drilling, it just gets mental, and this has been sort of really exaggerated this year because we've obviously got all of these new DEFRA schemes coming forward, particularly through the Future Farm Resilience Fund as well. We've got a number of farms that we're going out to see, all free of charges. They would have mentioned last week. 
and yeah, it's a good lot of workload. It's keeping us nice and busy. Yeah, which is which is great. And but you know, it, the farmers that you're finding out there are they what sort of mood are they in at the moment? Because the grain trading side of things, the price as I left work or during today hit a new all time high. And we actually sold some for one of our clients today. Well done. Yep. Good. Very good. I hope you milked that for your life's work. Yeah. In a, in a week's time, you'll be 10 quid wrong. <laughs> exactly. Be exactly. Calling, you'll be calling you rubbish. Yeah. I mean, it's quite daunting when you think that every single grain deal you've done for the entire year is lower than where the market is now. So you are, <laughs> you've ripped everybody off in yeah. their heads. Yeah. It does get a bit... Because you have to do that, don't you? You have to yeah. make a decision for clients. How well, do you deal with that? Because ultimately, we've got to look at it on a financial sense. Every decision that's sort of made in that... Actually, if we're in a profit-making scenario, mm-hmm. yes, all the new... I mean, I've had conversations with, with Ian and, and people at yours before where we've been, all oh, right, we're thinking about selling X amount of tonnes, and quite often they'll turn around and say, don't do it, because there's this massively bullish sentiment. Yeah. But there does come a point when you're looking at a profit-making scenario, but you've still got 50 60% of your crop exposed in terms of no contracts locked in, and there is a point where you have to start taking some cover, mm. because if not, they come round and say, "You're an idiot, Henry. What have you done? <laughs> well, you've done nothing, Henry. You were <laughs> doing, what were you? Yeah, walking your dog on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that you're absolutely right. It's just if you took that logic on new crop at the moment, you would sell probably eighty percent of yeah. it. And there really does seem to be a problem in my head with selling new crop at the moment. I know the price is two hundred pounds a ton mm. at some point X farm next year. The futures closed at two hundred and three, I think, last night or two hundred and two, you know, which is hundred and ninety three or something X farm, ninety four X farm mm. for Nov. That's a hell of a lot of money to turn down and it's irresponsible to tell people not to do that. But I don't feel the threat at the moment. If it dropped 10 quid, have you lost? You're still, no. in, still in a good still, profit-making you've won. position. I mean, this, last, this last rally's been pretty epic and it's good to have someone who suffers the same as we do in the sense you, you have to press a button at some point. Cause you keep yeah, up. ultimately with us, to be fair, to an extent like yourselves, we're there to give opinion more looking at the financial side of it and the impact that will have from decision X, Y, or Z. But ultimately, it's the client's decision whether they want to sell the grain or not. But all we can do is say, well, actually, if we're locking in at this price. We're taking away that element of risk. Yeah, um, I mean, with this, the, the difference between... I said this on one of my very earliest podcasts, I remember, that the difference between being a farmer, owner, and a farm manager of a bigger mm. state is the farm manager has got someone who's going to say, why did you do that? And if you said, well, I decided to sell my first tranche of new crop wheat at 194 and my cost of production is 170. You're not going to be wrong. No one's going to sack you yeah. for that. Yeah. And whereas if you're the farmer, the principal, you're luckily in that position, you can do, you know, shit or bust. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Ah, what the hell, I'm waiting for 200. And maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't, and maybe you'll sell it for 190, but no one's going to judge you. Mm. You know, your wife might tell you off or say, why are you so grumpy? But other than that, you go, no, nothing, no reason. <laughs> and you're just thinking, damn, I missed it, I can't brag about 200. But <laughs> yeah, it is a different dynamic, yeah. because you only have to explain yourself to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Working on behalf and accountable, and got to answer to someone else, and you've got to justify that advice and that decision ultimately. So, well, in the end, you'll have every year there'll be people who say you did it wrong. Yeah, and there'll be lots of people who think you did it really, really well, and you just remember those ones <laughs> and hope that the other guy comes back again. Yeah. So, with a busy workload and with grain prices through the roof, and you know, what's the next thing that's going to stop you from having any time off? Is there more in the pipeline that you you know that you can't see coming, or 
yeah, there's all sorts coming over the next few years. I mean, we've obviously got all these grants that have opened. Tuesday just gone, Tuesday 16th. It's worth mentioning on them, there is a very tight application window on them. Oh, yeah. yeah so we've got that. Yeah, we? so they obviously opened on the 16th of November. The first of them, the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, which is your direct drills application, that closes on the 7th of January. So okay. where we thought we were going to have a nice relaxing Christmas is probably not going to happen very much anymore. And we've got a number of these applications to push through. But uh, And then the larger one, the Farming Transformation Fund, the water resource element, so your reservoirs, that's a two-stage application rather than a single stage. So basically that's sort of an expression of interest, a bit of an eligibility checker really, yeah. um, followed by a full detailed business case where you have to sort of justify your investment, pull together five years worth of cash flow forecasts to, to show this is going to show some improvements to your overall farm business and show that effectively you can afford the investment of the project. So, But the deadline for that is the 12th of January for that initial expression of interest. So that's so, the deadline, closing deadline. Closing deadline. Wow. So oh, act fast on them. Is there a maximum pot to be spent? Then? Said, right, we're you, actually going to spend... Tw- 27 million. So 27 million is what they've just announced. For to, each section? Of for what? the farming investment fund. Okay. okay. So that's what they've got to spend through those schemes. And they will close in January, but they will open again in second round. So like the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, its predecessor scheme, the Countryside Productivity Small Grant Scheme, we had three rounds of. So they'll close in January and then possibly reopen September time or later in 2022. And so there will be opportunities to get another bite of the cherry, basically. Yeah, that's important. So it isn't just like, you know, getting now or you've missed it. Yeah, but I mean, going on from that, I mean, we said what else is going to be on our agenda? We've got all sorts coming down the line in terms of as they slowly build towards the environmental land management scheme, they're introducing the sustainable farming incentive. Mm. So that's your sort of base level of, of your elms. You've got the soil standard there, which ties in nicely with these grants is that they're encouraging people to go down this direct drilling route. So do you as Grand & Co, and I'm sure other firms as well, as be fair yeah. to them, do you have one individual who looks at sustainable farming fund and then someone else who looks at the other ones and they become the expert? And they then brief all of you with the basics and then when it gets really dodgy, you go to them as a reference point. Is that no, to be fair, we, we all have our sort of specialist areas, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you might have met Abby or, or Lottie from our Norwich office before. They do a lot of our environmental schemes, our high-level stewardship schemes that have been there in the past, the countryside stewardships, and a lot of that agri-environmental specialism. A lot of my focus tends to be towards grants. I spend yep. a a lot of time doing capital grant applications, whether that's for these on-farm ones, but also a lot of diversification work, funding that we've had available in the past, and then a lot of time spent looking after sort of contract farming agreements and, and the client base that, that surrounds that. So we all have our various areas that we work in. There's obviously always going to be a bit of crossover, but it's helpful because when these new things schemes come out, like the Sustainable Farming Incentive, We'll have someone who gets an in-depth knowledge of that. We'll then run training sessions, etc., on the back of it. So we're all prepped and ready to be able to go out and deliver the best advice, really. Okay. I mean, so to sum up, we've kind of covered that topic. I can now go and start putting some plans together, get some really good, hefty Korean equipment into some of the grain stores <laughs> with a grant and yeah. get sort of 35 40% towards it. That would be a bit of a bonus because yeah. it's a collective farming thing. You know, who do you see doing this do you i mean will people invest lots of money in i can't see it coming in the uh, grain handling particularly no to, to be fair i can't no, uh, other, be, other than your farmer cooperatives yeah it's going to be um, yeah but they're free covered but I well the, the one which i think will be have quite a lot of uptake in our area will be 
the reservoir grants water resource management yeah. because yeah. there is a huge amount of pressure on that and reservoirs are the most obvious and pushed solution really well yeah absolutely the not dragging it out of the chalk aquifer in norfolk makes yeah. it more popular doesn't it mind you they're not always the most beautiful things are they the reservoirs it's, no they're not and it's a challenge that we always will face particularly where we are along here in norfolk coast mm. most of it's in an aonb Area of outstanding natural beauty. Yeah, I think that housing estate the other side of Munsley's like in that bit, isn't it? What, your one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got some more to sell, have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no they've all been taken. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so, yeah. So. But, but basically, that you're always going to find yourself in that, get caught in the middle of the, the pressure on the environment in terms of water resources and we all know that it needs to be used more efficiently stored better yeah relieve the pressure on our, our groundwater sources but then also from the planning front you've got in AOMB you're going to have a lot harder job getting planning permission than you would in other areas of the county mm. so I mean we'll finish off with a couple of questions sort of slightly out of left field so as a young individual who's mm. from a farming family are you optimistic how do you see the future what, what do you think yeah I generally am I think I hate to keep coming back to it but we rhyme back to the Brexit vote yeah and I remember waking up the morning after thinking oh god this is going to be a nightmare for farming mm-hmm. and we all knew what that meant basically the phasing out of subsidies and what have you and we all are well aware of the fact that BPS has supported farming incomes for for some time but I th- actually genuinely do believe the removal of that subsidy is is only going to do good for British agriculture. There's going to be a few years of adjustment and there's going to be some pain for some businesses, there's no doubt about that. But in the long run or medium to long term, let's say 10 years, 15 years time, I think British agriculture will be in a much better place than it is today. You don't feel threatened by the, you know, the Liz Trust, George Eustace, let's do a deal with anyone and let them have substandard quality. Yeah, I would feel threatened by that. And to be honest, it doesn't sit that right with me when you see all these trade deals being drawn up with New Zealand, Australia. To be fair, it less affects me personally directly because we're not from a livestock farming background. But you do sometimes look at it and, and really feel for some of these livestock farmers who are ultimately, as it stands, looking like they're going to have to compete with some of these imports. That simply wouldn't meet anyone's standards whatsoever. That's that's the yeah. You know, but it, I think it comes back to a sort of a consumer problem in that consumers have got to recognise the value and be prepared to pay a premium. But It's not a problem for the consumer. They're happy. They buy cheap food. And it's the thing that gets me. I'm sure in time people will become more aware. You know, mm. you, all you need to do is glue yourself to the M25. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really effective way of uh, you know, getting your point across. The issue is that you have a promise. The thing that really gets me is the promise that Liz Truss and George Eustace made on various television programs a bit like boris promising hs2 you know mm. leveling up the country and today he's gone and said no and he's not going to do it i'm boris bashing again all you boris fans i'm sorry but he's just done a told another whopper but they basically she said categorically there won't be any inferior product coming in and by definition the australian beef is an inferior product mm. and new zealand is going to undermine us and then it's going to go to south america because we've already done deals on it so why are we making the fuss about and it's that that stuff that just they say one thing and something completely different happens so i am nervous about it i'm also nervous about the number of farmers that are going to be left is it a good thing to have just a few big ones i'm not totally convinced of that yeah but i don't think it will be just the big ones because there are some small family-run farms that will 
be in a position where they can quite comfortably carry on. I'm, I'm confident of that. Well, because they diversify into things they're, they're much more dynamically getting cash out of people. They might right? have diversified. They might not be running big £150,000 tractors when they don't need to. And they, they might be running very old machinery, family labour, not too many people drawing from the business. Yeah. They've got other incomes coming in and, and there's no reason why that farm can't survive. It's Farms having to understand their, really get a detailed understanding of their cost base. Yeah, and what they could actually make money from. What, what, exactly. What is their Every farm's got to sweat all the assets it's got yeah. over the next seven years because ultimately in seven years' time, they're going to be getting 230 quid a hectare less than what they have yeah. for the last however many years. Well, if cereal prices keep going up, yeah, we'll be all right. We'll make it all back. <laughs> but the, and the other question, the other sort of off the from left field question is, you know, as a family farm, what are your thoughts on? And you're gonna like this one. What are your thoughts on coastal erosion? <laughs> yeah, where we are, it all runs along the cliff edge. This is We're, trimming them in Norfolk. Yeah, is allowed to disappear to the benefit of Yarmouth, really, isn't it? it gives it a bit exactly. Of sand, yeah, and you've yeah, all seen the sandscaping scheme that they did down at Walcott. Unfortunately, that sand doesn't drag. <laughs> our way because the longshore drift takes it the other way so if anything it's probably going to make the issue worse where we are but there's years where we'll have big slumps and then there's years where you won't have a lot of retreat but ultimately we're in an area where they're not going to be spending any more money we've got if you go where our land starts the cliff edge Mm. you pretty much have a stop of sea defenses yeah and then you carry on all along through Trimmingham, get into sort of side strand, and then they start again as you reach over strand, just as our land finishes. So you've got all of our fields on the cliff edge have no protection at all. Yeah, you've taken one for the team, haven't you? I actually walked it recently. uh, It's a lovely stretch, really nice walk along there, but it's it's quite raw when you look down at the cliff and it's all... Well, it's all the clay at the bottom is what causes the issue. When you well, when you look up, it's a. I mean, it's quite spectacular. Anyone wants to go for a really nice walk? Yeah. Get a walk along the beach from Munsley to Sidestrand, as long as the tide's out. I'll add, you know, to Sidestrand or Overstrand. It's a bit of a long walk, but when you get the far end near Overstrand, you can pick up fossils, can't you? So yeah. Do you ever do that? Go and pick up not really. dinosaur teeth. Can't be bothered. Yeah, I've got yeah. Find other ways to occupy my time. That must be an outsourcing thing. <laughs> a little stall selling. Little diversification mammoth, mammoth selling knockoff mammoth teeth. <laughs> But yeah, the actual erosion of the cliff is there's one big lump that came down yeah. about a year ago and it literally went, it hit the sea, didn't it? Well, I, I remember years ago, and I've been young at the time, probably only 10, 12 years old, but I remember Dad taking us out there to have a look because they'd lost, I think, three acres. best part. Yeah, I don't know as much as that, but it was it was a big chunk. Yeah. He made it all the way on to look east for that, probably one of his most famous moments. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But anyway, I remember going down there and thankfully I think it was just after harvest and you could see all of the stubble, so it just slumped. So all the stubble was still on show, but just halfway down the cliff. (laughs) You didn't didn't have a round bale halfway down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We should have collected that straw. (laughs) Grandpa would have. (laughs) He'd have had it in. Yeah, anyway, okay, with that, I think, Henry, I really appreciate it. We're in an evening session, so I appreciate you seeing me because that advert prompted you know me to think, yeah, this is hot, this is a topic that perhaps farmers aren't aware of, so being the ace reporter I am, I was on it like a... Yeah, well, very, very well timed, and yeah. yeah, any farming clients or farming customers are doing grain out there, it's, it's definitely worth having a look at. Type in Farm Investment Fund on Google or give us a call, and we're happy to tell you what's available. That'll be a good plug, Henry. Well done. Thanks for for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. 
Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.